you know, what, what are we looking at in the next six months to a year for this, this business, this micro gym industry, where's it going? I think the, the best gyms are going to lead us more than ever. And, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to get this data was nobody could say for sure who the best gyms were, you know, was it my gym? Was it Ben's gym? Was it, um, this, this gym in Paris that I visited last year with 700 members, like <clears throat> which gyms are the best. And that's, that's the first thing. And, and once we've established that it's like the CrossFit games, you know, we can pick apart rich Froning's routines and say, oh, here's how you build a rich Froning. And so I think like the next step is for us to really solidify what the model is and what the stages of gym ownership are and give people a really clear picture of when you're at this stage here's how big your gym should be. And when you're at this stage is when you hire a coach and, and et cetera. I think that's going to help a lot. Chris, thanks for coming on, man. This is uh, pretty cool. I mean, I've been, I've been a big fan of anybody that's helping affiliates. Honestly, it's just, it comes down to that, right? It's anybody that's helping affiliates and you've been doing that for quite some time at this point. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's, it's great to be here. I, I like reading and seeing hard data about affiliates and the business because I was an affiliate owner and I think a lot of people who aren't on the inside don't know or understand the challenges involved and how um, it's not just like, you know, multiply the number of members you have times what they pay each month and you're just rolling in dough, which is like the biggest uh, it's like the biggest like misinformation scheme that ever came out about affiliate owning, like being an affiliate owner. Like that's, it's just going to be so easy to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. No problem. And <laughs> you guys did this huge research project with uh, uh, a lot of other brands involved, a lot of other companies involved to get some insights. I think you said, I, I read it last night. It has data from over 6,000 affiliates. Yeah, I would say 6,000 micro gyms, but um, well over 70% of that was CrossFit affiliates. I see. Yeah, that's right. Because you guys included, you included a lot of information about gyms that aren't CrossFit affiliates, but fit into this micro gym category. Tell me a little bit more about this micro gym category. Yeah. So a micro gym category would include any coaching based service with a home base that serves you know, usually around 150 clients. And those numbers are a little bit wonky right now because of COVID, you know, the number might be as low as even 50 or 30 clients, and it it might go as high as maybe about 250. Um, But, you know, by and large, the, the mean average gym attendance in our survey would be between 120 and about 150. The method, uh, so we're method agnostic. I mean, I have a, a CrossFit gym. A lot of our clients have CrossFit gyms. But there are also, um, there's a good representation of like bootcamp gyms or high intensity interval training gyms. And, and there's a smaller segment of martial arts gyms in there. And then even dance studios, uh, gymnastic centers, sports specific training, like they're all in there. Yeah, I, I have some experience in a couple of those. You know, obviously I've hmm. been around the affiliate space a long time, but I also do jujitsu. So I, I kind of been inside of those situations as well. And, uh, I know several people who own these like smaller personal training boot. I would call them like kind of like a boutique private gym as opposed to like the public, like group class focus thing. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see the, 
data come in, even though it's obviously limited, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to corral. I can imagine it's hard to corral those groups of, of gyms because there is no unifying body to speak to. That's going to give you, all right, well, like here's all of our martial arts gyms program information, or here's all of our, uh, you know, yoga program. You kind of have to deal with, I would imagine like the gym management software is probably going to give you the best bet in terms of knowing any sort of real information. Yeah, it is. And of course they all measure information slightly differently. For example, retention is a different metric depending who you ask. And so it's, that's another reason why we hired an independent data analyst who can do this rather than me just pulling the figures out of the data that prove what we want to prove. It is hard. I mean, a tribe is really defined by its language and that's one way that CrossFit has been so successful in, in building this big committed tribe is that we kind of have our own language and so if you define a CrossFit gym by everybody who says the word WAD or AMRAP or has a whiteboard or a clock, then virtually every gym in our survey is a CrossFit gym. Um, if you define it by like who actually holds an affiliate license and their L1 is valid, then that's about 70 or 80%. So I think for the purposes of this discussion, we can say that you know most of the gyms, over 90% are CrossFit gyms, if I'm doing my little air quotes here. Sure. And so- you guys at, at Two Brains sort of took all of this information and put it into a, a pretty comprehensive report looking at success rate, looking at uh, the size of gyms compared to profitability, look, just a, a whole bunch of different uh, metrics that were, re- I, I think, really interesting to kind of look at. And, you know, one of the ones that, that kind of stuck out to me was looking at um, owner hours worked versus profitability of a gym and sort of it's hard to extrapolate exactly what that ends up meaning in a practical sense other than there's some correlations between how much your 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 gym owner is working versus how profitable your gym is going to end up being and, and the the curious thing to me about that was the smaller gyms that were having a, a, a harder time being really profitable were driving their owners into like slave labor type <laughs> hours work. That's right. <laughs> experience that I feel like is so common. And it's, it's this weird, vicious cycle that, that gym owners get, get locked into of just being a slave to their own machine. And it just won't happen or won't work without them grinding themselves into dirt. That was one of the most interesting correlations in the data set was that the most successful gyms actually have the owner who works the least. And I think it's a chicken and egg thing. Um, But from my discussions with gym owners, what I tend to find is that the most successful gyms have owners who can focus on the business instead of working in the business. And, you know, my very first day with my very first client as a personal trainer, another personal trainer said, Hey, Chris, uh, you know, if, if you're spending one hour a week training clients, then you need to spend 39 hours a week trying to get it. You got to work 40 hours either way. And um, that really stuck with me since like 1996. And I think that's kind of what's happening in that data set is the people who are working 20 hours a week are probably working on growing their business in that 20 hours instead of spending 40 hours a week coaching. And that's kind of holding them back. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything in sort of this collection and and as you started seeing these relationships pop up between various metrics, is there anything that really stuck out to you as sort of being, uh, you know, either 
obvious and now proven or just completely out of left field? Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Um, so first of all, I mean, just having the data is kind of miraculous. Um, back in 2014, I was having breakfast in Santa Cruz with a bunch of people. And, um, you know, the COO of CrossFit was there, the CEO of CrossFit was there. And I said, you know, I know that you guys don't want to be prescriptive because that makes you a franchise or yada, yada. Um, but it would help the affiliates if you were the ones to collect a data set and just published it and we could draw our own conclusions. And they said, that's a great idea. We're never going to do it. Go ahead. And, you know, so I tried basically for like the next five years to do this. And then finally this year, we were able to pull it off. And, you know, I won't lie to you. It's, it's super expensive to do this. Um, at least a quarter million just in the technology. Um, but what it gives us is, okay, here's the thing that we suspected to be true. And so for example, like in a CrossFit gym, the average uh, group class rate is $22. Well, that's not a massive earth-shaking epiphany. Everybody would kind of guess around that number, but it's also the most commonly asked question among affiliate owners. And now we can say, here's the answer. And so I think that's big. The, the data also really illustrated some massive opportunities and some massive holes. So for example, one of the ones we've been talking about most right now is that uh, 69% of CrossFit gyms have a nutrition program of some sort in place but it only accounts for four to 6% of their gross revenue. So that tells me that, you know, compared to three years ago, a lot of people have started charging for nutrition coaching and that's awesome, but they're not really making any money at it. And if they're not making money at it, it means they're not selling it a lot. And if they're not selling it a lot, it tells me that they're not really focusing on the thing that will get their clients the best results. And so it's, it's these kind of extrapolations that are going to get really interesting. The other thing that, is just mind blowing to me is how well the data sets line up against um, like the anthropological research of, of guys like Robin Dunbar. And most listeners are probably familiar with Robin Dunbar's number of 150 relationships in your life, right? Well, his research actually says that there are different levels. There's the, the five person level, who's probably your immediate family. And then there's 15 people who are like, your extended family, but also your roommate from college and your best friend. And then there's the 50 person level, uh, you know, with whom you're close friends, you'd probably send them a birthday card or something. And then there's the 150 and then the 500. And it's interesting to, to back the numbers out of the data and find that the most successful gyms have about 158 clients who are paying around $186 per month. And, you know, the gym owner is making about a hundred thousand a year. And the next most successful gyms are the studios with about 50 clients who are paying north of $300 a month. And the gym owner is working more, you know, they're the primary service deliverer, but they're also making, you know, 80 to a hundred thousand a year in the best case. And so I think what this data set allows us to do is kind of back out a model with targets that we can aim for. And so I think gym owners could do a lot worse than saying, I'm going to build my pricing around 150 clients. I'm going to assume that 20% of my clients will pay 50% more because they want personal training or whatever. And that's going to determine my pricing set. And if I get more, that's awesome. But I'm not going to determine my pricing by aiming for 300 clients because that means I've got to commit to 15,000 square feet and six coaches right out of the gate. 
Yeah, I, I, I love seeing that because the idea of having this like massive thousand person gym basically functions for Annie in Reykjavik. Like that's about it. That's that's like it's like her and <laughs> yeah. CJ and like maybe Ben can pull that off, or like maybe like another giant gym who's you know just been around forever and owns their building so they don't have any sort of overhead costs like maybe that's the place where it works but in my experience in my experience with you know very like my affiliate and the affiliates that i've been members at the best ones in terms of quality of life for the members and the coaches and the owner is always around that 150 to 200 number it's built to be a smaller community because it the successful aspects of that size in in my sort of like estimation is it never scales to the larger size the larger the 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 group gets the larger the community gets the more it gets watered down from the very specific and successful strategies of creating like a family and a community with your clients yeah yeah, I think so. So, you know, the, this thing that you've intuited, I think a lot of long-term affiliates kind of intuitively know that, but, but that's the real hallmark of genius is making something complex into something simple. And that's why we want the data, right? The, the data is the genius here. And so it's the one that's, it's saying like, oh, the answer is 150 aim for that. And um, as I've been sharing this message over the last couple of weeks, people have just you know, said things like this is an epiphany, but they've also said it's a relief. Um, I've always been a little bit wary of the 300 client model and it's because of retention. And, you know, speaking on stage with some of the people who have these giant gyms, it's always kind of worried me because eventually you're going to run out of new clients. And um, so, you know, I was speaking with one guy and he's like, yeah, 300 gym clients, it's the model. And my churn rate is 10% a month. Well, that means he has to get a brand new client every single day to stay the same. And that just scares the hell out of me, you know? Yeah. I, I liked that there's, you know, again, I'm like a data guy. I'm a numbers guy. I love seeing the information put out, put out in a way that, that gives us a, a quantifiable, measurable aspect to something that we've experienced and the retention aspect, I think, you know, you mentioned something along the lines of adding, you know, anywhere from thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a month yeah. or something. If you can just keep your members on for another couple of months it, it, over the course of their their you know sort of lifetime with your gym, and I I enjoyed that as a sort of like slap in the face for a lot of people. <laughs> I enjoyed that slap in the face. <laughs> it's like it's like, hey man. It's not just about getting new people into the door. You've got to keep the people that you have. I, I, it, it's such a simple way of, of looking at it, but the every affiliate, and it's another thing that, that kind of speaks to the experience of being a member or an owner at whether it's an affiliate or like a, a big box gym or like in a martial arts studio, the people who stick around for a long time everyone knows them you know the people who've been there for like a year or two years or three years and they become like the bedrock of the entire facility and suddenly it makes a lot of sense that oh well it trickles down from those people who are like your first followers to 
everyone else that, oh, this is just how you do it. You join this place and it's not three months or six months. It's a year or 18 months. And then, you know, we, we have a party for when you leave because you've become part of our family. I think people lose sight of the, the aspect of like retention is it's not just value add. It's not just, you know, being good at your job. It's, it's actually a huge part of being a successful community, much less a successful business. This is really my favorite topic, Armin. So um, I want to share a couple of numbers with your audience. So the first number is that if you can keep people past the three-month mark, you can probably keep them to the six-month mark. So right at that three-month mark, you need to do whatever it takes to keep them around. And that'll that'll add three more months of, of membership revenue or whatever to your business. If you can keep them to the seven month mark, so through that six month period, you'll probably keep them to the 12 month mark. Statistically speaking, the people who are still in your gym at the seven month mark are almost 80% likely to be there at a year. So a little touch point there means an extra five months, but it gets really crazy because at the 13 month mark, because the per- people who are still in your gym at month 13 are very likely over 70% likely to be there after two years, wow. now, if you could, yeah. And, and if you could take your average client and add two more months of membership onto what they're doing, that's an extra $40,000 a year for a gym with 150 people paying 150 a month. It's even more pronounced with people who are uh, charging a higher rate or getting a higher value from their client. Yeah. I, I just looking back again, I, I can speak from my own personal experience. You know, the the, the members that we had, the people that we had at my gym that were there for two, three years, I, I left that business five years ago. I still talk to them today. We're like, I text them all the time. If I see something in a grocery store that reminds me of like a story that we had together about nutrition, I'll text them a little joke about it. We'll catch up very quickly. And I'll talk to them again in a couple of months. Like I still talk to those people because we made an impact on each other's lives. And I think that is the the positive end result of being able to quantify some of this data is that it's not a it's not a brutal form of capitalism or something that ends up you know hurting a bunch <laughs> of people for one person to make money it's a really beautiful virtuous thing where it adds to a lot of people's positive experiences and and growth which is you know i mean what what can you say about that 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 is negative Yeah. The other bonus that we didn't put in the guide on that topic was we think that the people who have been around your gym the longest are most likely to stay with you through a shutdown. And so this is, we, we just couldn't dig that deep fast enough to get it into the guide, but empirically speaking, um, from our own dashboard length of engagement rates actually went up during COVID and it's, it's because the people who've been at your gym the least amount of time were the first to drop off. And so we have a lot of gyms now where it's like our average member has been around for nine years. And that's because the people who've been around for less time are gone. You know, it's not necessarily a positive statistic, but it, it is indicative that the longer you can keep a person around, the more uh, resilient they are as a member. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was something that um, I've spoken to to a few different affiliate owners regarding their experience over this COVID shutdown situation. And one of the interesting things that came out for me was they had you know that that 
bedrock client, the one who's been there since day one has always supported what they do. They had somewhere between eight and 15% of their clientele double or triple their membership to be like, Hey, you know what, whatever it takes to keep you guys afloat while you can't make any money. Like, here's what we're going to do. We know people are going to drop off. I'll pay an extra membership either for someone to stay or to just make up for the difference. And I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful thing, right? That's a, that's a, if that's not proof that you're doing something right, I don't know what would be proof that you're doing something right. You know? Yeah. I, that must give the gym owner so much energy too. It's so great. Yeah. Um, you know, even talking, so when this happened and we said, how can we get gym owners to pivot online? And, um, we went out looking for the best online trainers in the world. And some of the most successful online trainers used to own gyms and a big portion of their current clients were their clients at the gym. Even if it was six or seven years ago, they're still their, their online client. And so I think like COVID has just kind of revealed that as a massive opportunity for gym owners to move online too. You know, um, most gym owners say the number one reason people quit my gym is they move. Okay, well, what if they didn't have to quit your gym just because they moved? And, and that's a brand new opportunity, one of many. Yeah, I, I was actually a little surprised. Speaking of the COVID shutdowns, I was actually a little surprised at the the rate of uh, businesses closing down. I felt it was actually much lower than I expected it to be. I think you said the average before COVID shutdown was something like 1% of gyms would close, businesses would close in this in this area. Um, and during COVID, it, it was something like 5%, which is a massive uptick, but not nearly as huge as I expected it to be. Was that surprising for you? Or, or do you just have a much better like ear, ear against the door type situation and know exactly what's going on? Well, so that data on micro gyms closing came from our own dashboard and also a few of our partners. So Agard, uh, Insight Tax, they gave us some data on that. The, the reason that we didn't want to um, just use our own data on gyms closing is because, you know, if our program is worth anything, it should keep you from closing. So that number should be lower, right? So we didn't just want to go by that. Um, so 5% of micro gyms closing that is like a five-fold increase over the typical year. However, that is still a fraction of the industry standard. You know, um, URSA, the industry, International Health Racket Sports Association or whatever it is, you know, they're saying 70% of gyms are not going to make a comeback right now. In fact, their association is probably not going to weather the storm because they're mostly funded by Planet Fitness, Lifetime, 24-hour, and a lot of those are in Chapter 11 right now. So, um, you know, industry-wide, fitness, the business has always been a game of attrition. If you just outlast everybody else, like, you're going to win. And micro gyms are outlasting. They're surviving at 95%, and these big chains are surviving at 30%. And micro gyms that have reopened have already seen a surge of new clients from 5 to 8%. So it's you know, just stay in it and you're, you're going to benefit. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to shift a little bit here because I, I, I really do appreciate reading this report. I think is it's fascinating and it was just available like for free, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many people are going to be super pumped, to, like jump into like a 200 page 
like like numbers based report but it's it is very very and we didn't even i feel like we didn't even scratch the surface for a lot of that data um i'm curious to see what the follow-up looks like you know because now that you have this this massive set it's a it's almost a baseline you can almost see uh you know where things go like if you continue doing this every even if it's every couple years you can kind of start seeing where trends are going what recovery looks like from covid and all that stuff. I'm, I'm very excited to see where that goes because I'm pretty bullish on the ecosystem and the business as a whole. I think for the first time in a while, I feel that there is a potential success strategy for CrossFit to grow and this like functional fitness thing to actually become much, much more pervasive than it even was in like its heyday, you know, four or five years ago. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, Eric Rosa coming in and being a much more data and business minded person and and actually setting some very, very probably fundamentally different, but also very clearly stated goals for where he wants to take the business. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on, you know, Rosa's behavior so far and, and what you're thinking you know, if you were going to put yourself in his shoes, what what are you thinking that he's going to be doing? Well, I've had a few conversations with Eric. Um, and then I had a few conversations with Josh Weisberg when he was the head of affiliate support for a brief period there. And I am still in contact with some of the remaining HQ staff. Um, I won't pretend to know what's in his mind. If I was in his shoes, though, um, I would be communicating with affiliates a lot about what my intention is. Even if the, the full three-year vision isn't completely baked out, uh, I would definitely be talking about like, here's our next step. And I think that's really important, especially because affiliates have never really had that before. It's always been shrouded in mystery. Um, when I was sitting in Glassman's kitchen a couple of years ago and said, why should I com- continue to pay an affiliate fee? He said, well, if I was using somebody else's method, I would feel it's right to keep paying them. And, you know, he said that on our podcast, it wasn't a secret, but I think that that's an insight into why affiliates were paying the fee, right? They were paying tribute to uh, the method and, and its originator. And I felt great about doing that until I didn't. What Eric has to do now is actually demonstrate in a more objective way, the value of affiliation and, and licensing the CrossFit brand. I do think he's the guy to do that. Um, we haven't seen specifically what those steps are going to be yet. The thing is that Eric has to um, balance the needs of, of two people. There's his investors and then there's the CrossFit affiliates. And on one hand, he has to keep affiliates around. On the other hand, he has to show his investors that he's making progress toward repaying their loans. And so, um, that's a very tough job. I think he's the guy to do it. Yeah. I, I like, I'm trying to figure out the the best way of, I like Eric's background. I like his take on things. I've seen him speak a bunch of times. I've had one very brief interaction with him. So I haven't had any at length conversations with him, but I'm curious what the reaction is going to be because my read on the situation is the affiliates from both a an investor standpoint as well as from just the affiliate standpoint is worth billions of dollars 
and it's never been scratched. I mean, that it's never even been touched. Greg was, it was anathema to him to even charge anything other than whatever the affiliate fee was. And his whole, the whole idea of, oh yeah, if you got in early, you still pay a hundred bucks a year for your affiliate fee. What do I care? It doesn't matter to me. It was, it was, it's the opposite of business as we Mm -hmm. see it and know it. And I think that's something that is going to catch a lot of people off guard. Personally, I think people are going to get caught off guard once these, these changes start coming into the affiliates because for sure, you know, Rose is a, he's a data guy. He's a business guy. He understands that there's just very, very easy value ads for the affiliates that are going to, you know, whether it's software or whether it's, you know, more, um, uniformity across some offerings. And he's even talked about, Oh, we, we might launch a 24 seven CrossFit class channel with like guest coaches that if you're a member at a gym, you can, you can access this channel. Well, Hmm. but the structure of what he's talking about isn't just launching a 24 seven in order for him to know if you're a member at an affiliate, he needs to have his fingers inside of your business in some way, shape or form. And that is a massive change from what we've had in the past. The idea of you talking to, you know, the, the executive team at, uh, at cross breakfast, at breakfast yeah. and be like, Hey guys, you should, you should actually publish some of this data. And they're like, we'll never do that. We hate the idea. It's yours. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen anymore. No, of course. And, 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 you know, now that, now that we have someone who's, you know, really part of the, the part of the crew, but also, you know, different, absolutely different from his approach to running things. I'm curious what people's reaction is going to be when these changes start coming down the pipeline. I, I think that as long as there's a perceived equal exchange of value that the affiliate program will grow right now, there isn't a balanced exchange of value. It's like, well, we've been paying tribute, you know, what value are we really getting back other than having a, a word that we can call what we're doing. And I think like his first step should really be to establish what the current value is. I mean, I would pay 10,000 a year for a CrossFit brand. If I was getting 10,000 in value, no problem. Um, when I took CrossFit off my gym, that's why I, I had gone from receiving zero value to receiving negative value for it. And so while I'm still an affiliate, it's not back on my sign yet. And that was kind of like the deal that I reached with Dave Castro um, so he called after I said, no, we're not going to reaffiliate and said, will you hold your affiliation and just keep it off your gym until we prove its value? And I agreed to do that, but they, you know, I haven't seen it yet. I think we will, but not yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it is going to be, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a road before we get to, before we get to that point. And, you know, it might be in, it might look completely different by the time that there is actual true value available for the affiliates for, for what their fees are, it might look completely different and that's okay. I think, I think it's not going to take away from what the community has been or could become. It's just a different approach to it. Um, You know, I used to, and still believe, like keep saying this idea that, you know, once, once Greg published, what is fitness? It was like, cats out the bag. It doesn't matter anymore. Like you've, you basically like showed us geometry. Like we get, we get it at this point. <laughs> this is like a thing that anyone can do. And like the basics are here. You can extrapolate it to however you want to go. And it, we've gotten it. And from now on, 
you know, you're no longer like an architect here. You know, it doesn't, it, it is what it is. You've put it out into the universe. And I think that's a really fascinating place to be of like, how do you build a, how do you build like an empire over something that people could literally do for free? And if you're doing your job right, eventually we'll just be able to do it on their own. I mean, if you, if you, if you run a successful affiliate, your members who've been there for a year or 18 months could easily leave your affiliate and be doing the exact same stuff basically without much of a change to their physical practice. And it means that you were successful. So in a way, like the graduation of your members is built into your success. And they stick around, obviously, for more than just programming or for you to tell them to, you know, keep their chest up on the dip on a push press or what, you know what I mean? Like they, they stay for more than that. And so it's interesting to see like, you know, this completely different mindset of being able to actually turn the knobs, see the data, see the output and create something very different than what it was, you know, going forward. And who knows what that's going to end up looking like. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I, I really can support what you're saying here because that's our model too which is knowledge is free. We're not selling knowledge. That's not what coaching is. And I think like, that's why affiliates are keeping people for 10 years. It's not because they're teaching them a new way to do the air squad every two months. You know, it's, it's the coaching and that mix of accountability and knowledge and care and, and belonging to the tribe. I mean, that's a different mix for every single client, but when you focus on finding the right mix for each client, that's what makes you successful I mean, we publish for free every single day. You know, I learned this from Greg. The stuff that we publish for free costs me hundreds of thousands a year. And um, you can use that to build a better business without paying us anything. But a lot of people do pay us. And, you know, we built the largest mentorship practice in the world for fitness because of that. So, it, you know, in hindsight, 2001, Greg was fighting with sports scientists like Mel Siff on Yahoo discussion boards that I was in. I remember that. And then he just turned around and published everything for free and built, you know, a $200 million empire out of it. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, you know, the, the background that you've got in the, one of the boards behind you, it, it looks like color coded. Uh, That's a picture of my gym. So do you, do you do like uh like, it almost looks like belts, like in, in martial arts. Yeah. That's level method. So you, so tell me, tell me, I, I, I've known Nate, Nate for a long time. Like we were cool. both SoCal, right? So, uh, you know, Nathan and I would run into each other at like, like affiliate owner functions, competitions. He's a very, very interesting guy. I've known him forever. And level method is something that I've been generally following along with because if anybody has like the brain to actually create the like, <laughs> level method it's nathan holiday like there's exactly. i don't know if there's anybody else that could do it it's so complicated and in-depth and so many different pieces to it uh how do you like the level method what do you think about that well i, I mean it would be very easy to look at each level and you know try and try and argue where the points are added or deducted or whatever. But what I like about it is that it gives my clients a visual of their progress and the, the belt system in um, karate is, you know, it's not really meant to qualify anybody. A black belt doesn't automatically build beat a purple belt in a fight. 
what it does is it gives the student a sense that they're making some progress here. And when you started with CrossFit, if you started like I did, you had this sense that you were making progress because I did fight gone bad two months ago and I did better today. Um, but this takes it down to a more micro level. And so the, the reason that I really love level method is when my client graduates or they move up a notch, they get a certificate and they stand on this little podium, which is like my smallest plyo box at my gym. And they hold up their certificate at my gym. And that picture is splashed all over social media. And um, to me, that's really the value. So when, uh, when we scratched CrossFit off my gym sign, I called Nathan and said, like, do you have an affiliate program? You know, I'll give you a testimonial. I put level method up on my gym. And he said, actually, I never thought of it, but okay. <laughs> and the thing is like, my gym has always been focused on retention, you know, and we study human behavior a ton and level method just brings all of the successful elements of changing human behavior into one spot, kind of takes the thinking out of it for you. So our retention actually went up when we started using level method, even though that's been our key area of focus for 15 years. Yeah. I, the, the, the aspect, like, you know, the question comes up all the time of, you know, should CrossFit or fitness have some sort of a levels or belts mm. situation the way, you know, martial arts do. And I think, you know, people think of martial arts belts and they don't understand it the way that you just described it. You know, I remember starting jujitsu and I remember being awful. And then I remember getting my first stripe on my white belt and thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. And I got my next one and the next one. And finally got like my blue belt and getting, getting more, like the, the idea of having this progression, especially early on in something like jujitsu makes a lot of sense because you're getting your ass kicked every single day. Yeah, there's, that's there's right. no, like the success is I survived longer today. That's the success. And so, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's this motivational aspect of like this external reward for sticking through it. And in, in fitness, you and I both know, like after a few years, it takes a lot of work to improve anything. It just slows yeah. down so much, you know, 10 years down the line, getting a one second PR on something or a one pound PR on something is celebratory. And I think it's really interesting to codify that in a way that can build, you know, some motivational tools into it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something that a lot of martial arts studios have figured out. And I know a lot of individual practitioners, like they, they kind of take shots at Gracie because they think like it's, oh, it's so easy to get a black belt under Gracie. But the truth is, if you stood a jujitsu studio a block away from a Gracie jujitsu, you'd find like Gracie has five times as many clients. And it's because people are familiar with the belting system and they, they find it easier to get their first stripe and, you know, they're encouraged and all this stuff. And that's just how our brains work. So, so what do you think, just to, to wrap this up here as like sure. a last question, what do you think the you know, immediate future holds, you know, what, what are we looking at in the next six months to a year for this, this business, this micro gym industry, where's it going? I think the, the best gyms are going to lead us more than ever. And, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to get this data was nobody could say for sure who the best gyms were. 
you know, was it my gym? Was it Ben's gym? Was it um, this, this gym in Paris that I visited last year with 700 members, like <clears throat> which gyms are the best. And that's, that's the first thing. And, and once we've established that it's like the CrossFit games, you know, we can pick apart rich Froning's routines and say, Oh, here's how you build a rich Froning. And so I think like the next step is for us to really solidify what the model is and what the stages of gym ownership are and give people a really clear picture of when you're at this stage, here's how big your gym should be. And when you're at this stage is when you hire a coach and, and et cetera. I think that's going to help a lot. Um, the other piece is that I think um, the, the weaker gyms are going to really struggle and that's natural. That's evolution. You know, Greg himself told me like, Chris, that's what's supposed to happen when a, a poorly run gym goes out of business. It, it benefits everybody because the coaches go get jobs at better gyms and the clients go join the better gyms and they get a better experience. That's hard for an empathetic Canadian like me to accept, but it's the reality and it will make the industry better. Um, while I hate to see anybody fail, I mean, these are entrepreneurs. They're, they're going to start another gym eventually or, or another business. So um, I do think like we're going to see that. The third step that I'm really excited about and I want to pour gas on this fire is more people entering the field of fitness as an entrepreneur. Um, the, the gig economy, you know, you, you've seen it. The pros and cons are being battled in California right now. But the bottom line is that our children will have to create their own living by creating value for other people. And, and that's the definition of entrepreneurship. I think fitness is one of the easiest and most rewarding fields to be an entrepreneur in or the easiest to get started and the hardest to continue. And so what I think I see happening in the next 10 years is more people entering the field and staying in the field. And, you know, we've just we do work with CrossFit, you know, we're close with CrossFit, but we also work with like the ISSA and NASM and ACSM and their biggest challenge right now is they're certifying about 18,000 trainers a year and 80% of those trainers are out of the industry two years later. And so um, my mission is to make a million fitness entrepreneurs successful. And that's where we're really going to be focusing this year is I don't care what your method is. Uh, if you're helping people, get fit and stay healthy and avoid the risks of COVID and the next pandemic, uh, then we want to be on your side. And so I'm hopeful that we're going to see a lot more fitness entrepreneurs in the next decade. That's a hell of a mission statement, man. I, I, I really enjoy that. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for you. I'm curious you. exactly how that goes. Uh, Chris, where can people, you know, find you, where can people find that, that report that we were talking about, you know, what's the best way for people to follow along and get more information? Yeah. If you want to start with the report, it's twobrainbusiness.com forward slash research. And, um, this, this really is, I think like, a um, a pivot point in the industry, you know, you can, you can dislike me, you can dislike our advice. I don't care. Um, I do care, but get the report anyway and make up your own mind, but, but start making your decisions based from objective data. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, Armin. This was awesome.